Hello and welcome to Leadership Behaviours Unpacked. I'm Jane Lewis and today I'm excited to be joined by Lucy Hill. Lucy's story is one fueled by passion, determination and overcoming barriers. The barriers in her own head and those that society often places on us. Lucy is a trainee doula living in Froome. She also works for the local perinatal mental health charity Froome Birth Talk and she hosts a newly launched podcast, The Real Birth Podcast, which is dedicated to sharing real birth stories. Lucy has had some really interesting jobs in the past, but I'm going to let her tell you all about that in her own words. What does connect each of her career choices is a desire to communicate effectively and to create meaningful relationships. So before I start to tell you the story, um, I'd love to welcome Lucy to the podcast today. Lucy, welcome. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to start really by talking about your life and work today. Looking back at what you've done and talking about what you've done in the past is really interesting. But actually, I want to start by going, okay, what do you, what is it you do today? And then we can kind of talk a little bit more about why and the journey that you've been on. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, firstly. Yeah, so I am doing a few different things at the moment. I have a part-time employed role, and that is with a local charity called Froome Birth Talk. Okay. And that charity provides free counselling for pregnant people and new parents. Oh, right. And it's all grant funded, so it's all lottery funded as well. And we have, I believe it's seven counsellors that work for us, as well as four of them, sorry, four of them are trainees, but they will have already completed, say, kind of like a year's worth of training. And anybody can self-refer to us just by sending an email, or sometimes it'll be a midwife or a health visitor who refers uh, somebody. And that can either be during pregnancy, after the birth of your child, following a loss, or even something like a miscarriage or a fertility struggle, anything kind of related to that. And we will provide free six sessions of free professional counselling. And in kind of more difficult or complicated circumstances, that might be extended. But it's a minimum of six sessions. And yeah, it's just a really valuable service that I think more and more people should know about. Because if you look at kind of the average NHS waiting time for somebody who perhaps isn't considered a really high risk mental health um, concern client, you're looking at, I don't know, anywhere sort of six months is normal to wait. And And sometimes it can be kind of like 18 months plus, exactly. by which time... It depends who you're who you're dealing with, your GP Mm. surgery, I think, and various other factors. But our waiting list is around two to three weeks. So actually, even though that can feel like a long time, it's so much faster than going down the NHS. So people know that there's a lifeline in a very short time. Yeah. Mm. So that's a fairly new role for me, something that I really was so passionate about before I even put in the application for the job and I don't know if anyone else has had this but sometimes in life I've come across a job ad or something and I have just known that that is going to be my job and I haven't even thought about all the other people that are going to apply and normally I'm not that sort of confident when it comes to things like that but there's been a couple of times in my life where I've seen a job advertised and I've just gone that's for me yeah not in a you know obnoxious way it's just that's going to be mine because I'm made to do that so yeah I have been working there for about three or four months now and so what I do is I deal with the referrals so anybody who emails anybody who phones or texts and then I will liaise with that person to set them up with the right counsellor get them a regular time slot make sure they've had a, a good assessment and then kind of working afterwards to collate their kind of scores of, of how yeah. they, they may or may not feel that the service has benefited them but yeah generally the feedback is brilliant and it's just having had a child myself and knowing yeah. even mm. if you have the most fantastic support system around you it's completely normal to actually need somebody who is not your partner who is not your family Absolutely. who's not your friend <clears throat> to talk to regardless yeah. of actually whether you feel like you're in a really dire place or not it's really, really important to yeah. be able to do that. So, and someone who's not—it's not just about the medical piece. 
because I think that's often the case, isn't it, where it's all about the medical stuff. How many weeks are you? You need this scan. You need this blood test. You need this. Well, actually, where's the space for me to talk about where my head's at? Exactly. Um, with the fears of what's happened before or what happened to your own mother or mm. and I know that you know we are quite fortunate in the UK to have mm. NHS service and to have midwifery service but the continuity of care model which is where you would see the same midwife or at least the same yeah. couple mm. of midwives every time is something that is becoming quite unsustainable mm. so there are lots of women who are going and you know various parents going through appointments who may not have seen the same person twice who doesn't have the time or the resources or frankly the energy to be asking those kinds of questions yeah so yeah I I love that that's sort of fairly new in my life okay Uh, yeah and there's a, there's a there's a big and yeah so there's a couple of bands <laughs> a couple of so bands. i so yeah i work for free and birth talk doing that i love it and i also well i'm in the process of training to become a doula okay so i'm doing a lot of reading and research and general surrounding myself in that world had a bit of a setback recently in that my doula training was supposed to start about a week ago, two weeks ago, but it was just the one time of year where I decided to be ill. So I had to withdraw from that training. I was absolutely devastated, had a bit of a tantrum for a couple of days. But then, you know, I'm able to redo, redo that training in April. Okay. So not. So it's not a million miles away. I can read a couple more books and it's my birthday week when that's on. So there'll be, yeah, loads a more cake. Yeah. So... Yeah, I am. I'm very much kind of in that world of I feel like I'm already being and doing the doula role in many ways in my life. But in order to kind of have that accreditation and be on the Doula UK website and to be assigned a mentor, that training is really important for me. So that's going to happen in April. And in terms of so actually for lots of people within the UK and wherever may they probably have they might or might not have heard the term doula. Mm. They are probably rarer to have experienced having one so can you tell us a bit about you know what is a doula and kind of what are the advantages of having Mm. one for a woman going through or a you know a couple anybody going through their kind of yeah it's interesting you say that childbirth experience doulas can be there for anyone yeah basically obviously whoever's having the baby you know is largely the focus of the attention but there's always that connection sometimes with family as well kind of extended family so a doula really is somebody who a a a couple a family whoever whatever the situation might be somebody that they would hire to provide continuous support through pregnancy birth and often the postnatal period so there are there are doulas who just support families in the postnatal period okay. and there are doulas who just do birth okay. and there are doulas who do the full spectrum, which is called a continuum doula. Okay. Uh, and that's what I'm training to be. Okay. So I will provide a full spectrum of yeah. care. And a doula is somebody who is not medically trained. They are not replacing in any way the role of a midwife, doctor, consultant. They're a non-medical support person. They might attend appointments with you if you want to feel that you've got somebody there who is also receiving the information that you might be given to help kind of talk those processes over with you. A doula is somebody who can talk you through creating a birth plan or a birth preference document. Mm. And actually what's really powerful Mm. about doing that is it's so often it's very rarely about what ends up on that piece of paper. It's not about writing, well, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, and it must be in the water and it must be this. It's actually about saying to that person, well, did you know these are all the options that you have and these are all the rights that you have and you can decline this or you can Mm. request this because sometimes we don't know actually that Mm. there is a choice involved so if something's really important to you a doula might be able to help you um, work out how that is possible within your birth Mm. and I remember just kind of picking up on that quickly when you and I will talk about get you to talk a bit about your own podcast a little bit later but I know listening to your own birth story on your podcast you talked about some of the choices that were kind of absolute in yours and some of the things that had to change Mm. and I think that's really important because some of the things you talked about you know I didn't even I had no idea that they were options so I think that's really important that it's it's really difficult sometimes to know Mm. what you have control over and sometimes that sense of these are the things I can control allows you to relax a bit when things happen physically that you Mm. don't have any control over. Exactly. And I think something that a doula can do with you. And for me, the most important thing that I would ever want to impress on anyone is everything that you do in your labour and birth is an option. 
everything. Nothing that is presented to you is compulsory. So somebody might say to you, well, we're going to do this now. And actually what they should be saying is, is it okay if I do this now? Yeah. And that is a really big distinction that I think has been, you know, if you are working in the medical system and you do this day in, day out, you know, you can't necessarily be blamed for just going along the motions. But I think it's really important as a doula to be able to remind people that they have choices in every aspect of what they're going through. And also in terms of birth preferences, I do prefer the word preferences to plan because you can't necessarily plan Mm. everything. But I like a plan A, a plan B and a plan, you know, and for me, in my case, you know, plan A was totally natural at home in the water. Plan B was, okay. well, what do I have to do if I have to go to hospital? And my plan C was my plan cesarean. What do I do if that's, you know, if that's the outcome? Yeah. And I think if you have (coughs) if you have allowed your mind to go there of every option of what could happen in your birth. Yeah. If you've allowed your mind to go to all those places and you've come up with a way in which all of those could be that could give you a positive experience, then then you are so much more empowered going into your experience than you would be if something was thrown at you and it was a total shock and surprise. So I think a doula is really about mental preparation. Somebody that, so in the work that I'm going to be doing, I will be providing six sessions pre-birth and six sessions after birth, as well as the full birth experience. And that might be somebody who will call me and I at five o'clock in the evening and I'm not going to leave until they are home safe with their baby so that might be four hours that might be two days I don't know but that's what a doula does they wow that's quite a that's a massive commitment yes isn't it as a role and with lots of uncertainty in it because clearly you can't schedule in that my next birth is going to be at 3 p.m on September the 2nd no and it's very rare that we do know exactly when a birth's happening even (coughs) even if somebody does opt for an induction Inductions yeah. can take days. Yeah. You just don't know. So yeah, there's a there's an element of being on call generally from about 37 weeks up to 42 weeks and beyond, depending on what people choose to do. But a, a kind of I'm very lucky in in the area that I'm in in Froome, there is a really fantastic network of doulas. So a lot of people operate on a, either a shared care or a backup system. Okay. So it's really important that if somebody else might be at a birth for whatever reason, yeah. that that family has also met the back the of the yeah 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 and I guess you know like with your training if you become unwell and exactly. can't be there so that yeah exactly so in terms of practical things that doulas might do it's everything from making sure that everybody is properly fed and watered okay you know labor and birth is as big it's a marathon so rather than expecting a partner or somebody to be rushing off and doing all of that mm. and tending to all of that they can fully invest in the experience and be cared for I have to kind of a tiny aside if my brother's listening to this because he arrived at the hospital for the birth of his first son with an enormous cool box full of sandwiches and juice for himself oh okay (laughs) (laughs) so I guess you could say he was actually prepared to be fully attentive because he was really well fed that's really good yeah (laughs) so it's things like that it's also there is some physical work so people might really enjoy some kind of pressure work so there's a couple of moves that we might use in order to relieve pressure during contractions so squeezing the hips opens up the pelvis and can be really really quite enjoyable sensation in labor there's another couple that really help babies to drop down into the pelvis one of which is called shaking the apples and it is literally grabbing onto someone's butt cheeks and back of their thighs (laughs) and shaking it like an apple tree but again there's lots of different moves you know walking up and down the stairs in a a supported position squats things like that and of course you can remember them because I think one of the things that I always find whenever I go to you know classes uh, whether that's for so actually you know I think I've talked to you before so my daughter was very premature so I didn't get through many of those kind of preparations but even if I think about exercises I'm given in Pilates or something and I get home and I think what were they yeah so actually you think the chances of you and your partner remembering what Mm. those things were in in anger are really tough so I guess you can just direct them and go actually try this try that this might now work when you're thinking what was that thing yeah, exactly. And also just to kind of keep things moving all the time yeah. is really important. Yeah. So there's there are some some physical things that can help as well. Um, there's also a really important part of the doula role is advocacy. Okay. So like you said, in the moment, you yeah. the, the part of the brain during labour that controls like all our... So we've got this like primal part of our brain. Absolutely, yeah. 
And then we've got the front part, which is all about worrying and, oh, I left the dishwasher on and, you know, all of that stuff. That part of the brain has to has to turn off in order for us to actually labour effectively. OK, so it becomes that completely primitive yeah. so reflexes within the body. Lots of people will call it labour land. Okay. So and I certainly found that I didn't there's no concept of time because the forward part of our brain that has all that worrying life admin and the very conscious stuff, in the moment exactly that that doesn't exist anymore so that's why people might say well they thought it was an hour when it was 10 hours or vice okay. versa so in the moment if somebody is asking you to make a very important decision yeah. about your body about your choices sometimes you well, you can't. Physically, you can't. you can't. And it's you are in the most vulnerable position. And even if somebody does not mean to be coercive, if they say something in a certain way, you may make a decision that actually pre-labour you wouldn't have made. So yeah, particularly as, once you start to feel out of control. And yeah. I guess with a partner as well, because I think you're, you know, if they are, they are worried about the person they're there and love who's kind of in labour, they're in a weird place too. Definitely. And I think. Mm you know we are of course we are not medical professionals as you know lay people and yeah, yeah. so mm. sometimes it does take that middle person to just say okay thank you for your suggestion I'm just going to talk to my clients or, or we're all just going to take five minutes like yeah. is there anything mm. that is so serious that it can't wait for five minutes while we have a discussion yeah. about what this woman would like to do because actually we're going to wait for the contractions to stop for a minute and then we're going to talk about it so yeah yeah, and to, to make a decision yeah, about contraction, I guess, is not exactly, actually great for decision making. It's not cool, no. <laughs> and, and to be able to say, oh, <clears throat> just in a really polite way, oh, actually, did you read my client's birth note, birth preferences? Because actually mm. she said she'd rather do this. And and it's not it's not a challenge. It's not in any way an, aggress- an aggression. It's, it's a gentle bringing it back to what yeah. that person really how wants. Do, how do midwives, particularly in a hospital mm. setting react to having a doula present is yeah. it a positive kind of acceptance in I terms think, of supporting their role I think on the whole it is a positive thing mm. I think I spoke to somebody about this once and yes yeah, my friend who is a midwife and she said well you get really good doulas and you get really bad doulas just yeah. like you get really good midwives yeah. and you get really yeah. bad midwives yeah. so on the whole if you've yeah. got a good doula mm. who is respectful but you know firm and is doing everything they can in the best interest of their client and they're not trying to kind of they're not trying to challenge anybody or cause you know chaos yeah I think on the whole it is a very um welcome addition yeah especially you know the situation we're in at the moment we are in a maternity crisis at the moment for every 30 newly qualified midwives 29 leave Jeez. yeah so we are it, we are in a crisis and they recently um I think it was a Royal College of Midwives recently published a study and I think it was 60%, just shy of 60% of midwives are considering leaving in the next 12 months. So what do we do? We have okay. to we have to allow more people in that supportive yeah. role in whatever yeah. way we can. And the thing that doulas will often do is support people in that period where they are in labour, but they're not ready to go to hospital yet. Yeah. Some people choose not to go to hospital yeah. at all and they stay at home and that's fine. Some people know they want to be in hospital, have been advised to be in hospital. Yeah. but Keep getting sent home. Yeah, <laughs> but they but they might feel more confident yeah. at home with somebody. So, yeah, I think that on the whole it is a positive thing. And I think if a midwife did have a real problem with a doula, I would be questioning the motives there because a, a doula is scientifically proven to benefit birth yeah so a good midwife I can't see why they would have a problem yeah Yeah. I can only see an additional support person as a good thing yeah so yeah I did actually just have a few very interesting statistics because people kind of think oh well that's nice it must just be a nice experience yeah Uh, nice to have somebody there to support you but they did actually do a a Cochrane review recently which is kind of a very highly respected medical review with you know thousands and thousands and thousands of of people involved in that study and what they found when they looked at people who used doulas was that actually there were 28% fewer cesareans there were there was a 12% increase in spontaneous birth versus being kind of induced or or not there was a 9% drop in the use of any pain medication and 34% fewer negative birth experiences were reported 
Jeez. So that's huge for people's that mental health. That is huge. And actually, yeah. labours were on average shorter by 40 minutes. So 40 minutes is a long time yeah. to be in labour if you it don't want to be. It is huge. And I think, you know, when you look at those statistics and you think about that's that's purely for the birth experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot before and I think the, the, the women who you interview on your podcast, you know, a negative birth experience can impact somebody's mental health. Yeah. For the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's unshakable, it's imprinted forever. Absolutely. And that's, you know, and I guess the knock on effect for a partner, the family, well, the their child. future, the child itself yeah. I mean, it's, are massive. It sounds a bit <clears throat> hippie woo woo, but I do firmly believe that if if we want children to grow up happy and stable yeah. and, you know, all of that it really does start at the very beginning yeah. because if you have parents who are traumatized you know that relationship that is such an important time in a tiny yeah. child's life so yeah the the kind of more supported a person can be during and after their labor the yeah. the chances of their birth satisfaction being higher is increased yeah so yeah it's it's hard because obviously we aren't it's not something that everybody knows about no but and it, it God. is, but it is really, really valuable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, sorry, what I was going to say is I'm very aware that hiring a doula in itself can be seen as quite a luxury. You're asking a lot of time from someone. Yeah. So it's not cheap. But what I really do, I feel very passionate about challenging is what we are willing to invest in in our lives. Yeah. So I know lots of people that will save up and invest in a wedding day because it's once in a lifetime for them. It's so important. (laughs) The memories last forever. They will do the same for a once in a lifetime holiday or a twice or three times in a lifetime holiday. They will actually sometimes invest that amount in a pram because it's the best pram out there and it will last until the child's five or whatever. And yet asking somebody to pay for somebody who will support you through labour yeah. and birth, there's that mm. element of, well, that's that's too expensive. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I'm really keen to challenge that because, yeah. actually, we have a choice, and um, most of us have yes. a choice of how we can invest in things that are important in our lives. Yeah. yeah. And there are also things like, you know, Dooley UK run an access fund. So if you really, really are unable to afford a doula they will help you to find somebody who might work with you or I know that most doulas will accept payment plans or they will do some sort of shared skill swap or you know because ultimately we're doing it because we desperately want to support people we're not it's not it's not a money-making thing in that sense yes you don't go into being a doula to to become rich exactly so I would just really urge people to think about what what we invest in and actually if you do come away with an experience that does sit negatively negatively with you forever adding up the cost of repairing that yeah can be very high absolutely and I I and it's a bit like I you know I kind of sometimes face those same questions about being a coach you know well is that a bit of a luxury mm-hmm. and when you kind of then add up and go okay so what is kind of you know what is the alternative cost so what does it cost you not to do it mm-hmm. and and how much would you invest in your well-being and being able to move forward because as you say when you break stuff down into the other things that people are willing to invest in and yeah there's a balance but listen you know hearing about the fact that actually there are access funds and there are are often access funds Mm. for so many things yeah I think if you want if you wanted to use a doula or you knew somebody who would benefit from Mm. one if you contacted that person and explained your situation you there's there's no harm in asking absolutely not so absolutely not And, and I I mean one of the you know the main reasons I wanted to get you on to talk about this is that so few people actually know so I'd you know I'd heard the word doula I kind of had an idea but I didn't really know I didn't know what the extent of it was what the options were for people so you know thank you again (laughs) for kind of coming along and actually one of the things I wanted to do so I could talk forever about the role and we can probably talk about that a bit more in a second but the journey that led you to become a doula so you know it's interesting because I guess you know how many people if asked when they leave school what do you want to be Mm. I guess depending on their family circumstances and what their family around them kind of do as a role but you didn't start life 
as a doula. No. What's your journey been to this point that made you think, actually, this is something I am really passionate about? And I know it is something you're really passionate about. Yeah. So I think that in the back of my mind, I have always wanted to be a doula. Okay. So I remember being about 15 and, you know, there were these absolutely rubbish programmes on Sky that we had, you know, these channels that nobody watches. But some of them <laughs> were about birth stories yeah. and babies being born. And I used to just really desperately want to watch them. But I I felt quite embarrassed about it because I was sort of 15 and I felt like it said something weird about me. Like, I don't know, like I desperately wanted to have a baby. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to do with those emotions okay. or feelings. So I didn't really share that with anyone. And I did, somebody gave me a book or I found a book and it was a book of birth stories and by a woman called Sheila Kitzinger. And then I also came across a woman called Ina Mae Gaskin, who is like, she's like the head midwife of, you know, holistic midwifery. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. So those ideas were always floating around. And I also really deeply considered midwifery at that age as well, 15, 16. But I was pretty academic I was very good at school I got very very good marks but I wasn't very sciencey okay so my my passions really were English history religious studies humanities that kind of thing because I was very good at writing essays okay so that you could have given me anything to write an essay on and I would have been able to structure it (laughs) yeah and, and actually that that came from my dad as a very good writer and he would sit down with me and he taught me how to structure essays properly and we would chop out the different paragraphs and reorder them and cut words and change the structure of sentences together and yeah he was a huge influence in that so I felt very very strong in that field so I I got my A-levels and those A-levels in themselves weren't what I could use to get into any sort of midwifery program anyway because I didn't have any sciences and also there was a sense of I have got these really good A-levels and I should do something with them that is relevant to that yeah so yeah so I ended up doing a degree in I did a joint degree which was English literature joint with religious studies so it was actually modern religion okay and looking back on it now I don't know how it didn't scream out at me at the time because my final dissertation that I did on I decided I had to decide whether to do my dissertation within the English literature realm okay or the religious studies realm yeah and I actually chose to do it in the religious studies realm and I studied goddess religion in Glastonbury wow and my final dissertation essentially so it was about biological essentialism which basically means in order to really connect with this religion do you have to actually have a uterus like Wow. It was kind of pre a lot of these conversations yeah, about yeah. about gender identity. They certainly weren't at the forefront of my mind back then. But yeah, so I, I was very, very interested in, concerned with where kind of motherhood and birth yeah. and menstruation and cyclical rhythmic patterns yeah. fitted into religion so I think in the sense that's kind of, I can see myself in that yeah. now looking back. And that's really one of the only things that I got first in. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, you know. But you were deeply like passionate these. about that subject. Yeah. And at, around about that time, even though it's not not kind of a, a work kind of thing, I became intensely fascinated by menstrual cycles. Okay. My own and others. So I... I got really really into kind of the real analytical data of it okay so a lot of charting tracking yeah yeah um, observation and analyzing what that all means hormonally so that became a kind of side geeky passion project for me as well anyway so I did my degree and that was at Bath Spa and I loved it and then I got a job I think it was before I even graduated I got a job at Love Honey Okay. Are, I, yeah. Yeah. So they uh, their strapline is the sexual happiness people. I believe it is. I hope it still is now. But yeah, that was a job that I I sort of 
told them I was going to work for them I I have a it was sort of back in the day it was one of those moments where again where you saw the ad and went I'm your person there wasn't an ad I just said like I really want to work for you and I think I'd sort of done a bit of back and forth on Twitter and were they they were quite new at that time weren't they um they weren't new but they were still fairly small so when I started there were 50 members of staff and that was including the warehouse including the office staff by the time I left about two and a half years later I think there was two 250 or something Mm. so it it was yeah it was massive yeah so I joined and I was a editorial content assistant so I would come into work in the morning and there would be a box of stuff on my desk and I would write the descriptions for the website fantastic and yeah it was honestly brilliant I mean sometimes it was a little bit stressful because you'd have like five things that you had to do by lunchtime and you've used certain words so many times but it was a really it was really really good really interesting and just really opened me up to yeah kind of being that kind that really open yeah yeah they're obviously in the line of so love honey do sex toys lingerie kind of adult pleasure products in in every sense of the world and they are now huge international Mm. hugely successful brand so I'm really really lucky to have worked with them for a bit but obviously there's no there's no prudishness there and so you are you're not really having to censor what you talk about and who you are and who you are and actually I think I quickly realized that I just I just loved the fact that we were talking about people's pleasure and people's bodies and what people do behind the scenes and but never in a judgmental way always in a really positive way yeah and that was what I really loved about the job so then I I started doing some of their in-house PR so they had an external PR agency but I would work very closely with them to do all the in-house stuff and I ended up working with some quite big external media companies so I think it was some some people at Sky Life Lifetime TV and like even you know like Virgin and ITV and people like that would kind of come directly to us and either ask for I don't know like a product to go in a show or something yeah or they would be asking for interview quotes or things like that Mm. and then there were quite a few TV things that were made while I was working there so there were a couple of there was a whole series actually that went on Sky so if you're interested yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some there's some good stuff there I need to put a link in the bio yeah, my alternative yeah. Podcast. Um, <laughs> it was really really good so yeah I was working there doing a lot of PR stuff and I think it had been about kind of yeah two and a half three years and the company had grown massively mm. and I joined pre 50 shades of grey okay and then 50 oh, shades, it went mental yeah didn't it? 50 shades happened the industry went mad and also love honey won the rights to make the official project products oh really yeah so by the time I left we were doing and that's quite that's quite an achievement for a a kind of Somerset based basically still a pretty much a startup organization and they were competing against some of the real big brands real big brands but I think it was the actually the ethos of Love Honey that really won won them over so yeah so, so that it really exploded mental. and then obviously the company grew and it mm. became a bit more kind of strategic and corporate and, yeah. and that that obviously with business growth things have to change. So yeah, I think I just got to a point where it had been my first job out of university yeah. and I just didn't know what else was out there. And when I look back, I do think it's probably one of my life's regrets that I left when I did Okay. because yeah, I just, it was so good it was golden you know but in a way I'm kind of glad that it was golden for what it was and and for its entirety and for its entirety yeah, yeah. so yeah I I left then and I did a bit of freelancing for a couple of years so I did some copywriting I worked for an estate agent I worked for a, a guy who made loads of like dating websites I also wrote for an adult movie producer I didn't <laughs> no, a again I'm hoping it's all right to say that um but once you've worked at Love Honey like you yeah, know you make, you make, down, you make these they? connections yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. I think I was actually approached on LinkedIn by the guy who ran so if I'm allowed to say it, they're called Joy Bear Pictures they're great they make ethical porn basically they pay all their people really well okay. and it's really cinematic and it's sort of aimed at aimed at women so I was sort of approached to do some writing for them, not script wise, but in terms of similar stuff that I've been doing to Love Honey. So I would write all the kind of 
bio of what the mm. movie was and I would do scene by scene descriptions. It's all the kind of meta stuff and the SEO bits yeah. for websites. So it was absolutely, that was a, that was a brilliant job. <clears throat> really brilliant. And I did that for a couple of years. So I used to do blogs and yeah, I would just kind of do a bit of their social media as well. So, but I think what was good about that is I think there's a an element of, okay, this person has worked for a company where yes, it's all about something that we don't typically talk about, but there's a there's a real yeah. professionalism mm. underlying it. Yeah. It's not like a sleazy yeah. laddie. There's a and I think they wanted that tone of voice. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah. And so that that's kind of where I where I'm at with that. But I, yeah, I did lots of kind of little little things here and there basically and, for and a I while think when, when I kind of introduced you and said actually your journey and your background mm-hmm. are really fascinating and they are because you've done some really unusual jobs in some in some unusual industries and in industries that a lot of people don't talk about and when you talked about going kind of taking it full circle back to you kind of at 15 going mm. I'm fascinated about birth about kind of you know the female body mm-hmm. And then you go through like your journey through university, the stuff that you were really interested in. You talked about at 15 being kind of a bit embarrassed and not wanting to talk about it. Mm. Did the journey through kind of your studies at university, your first kind of jobs, did they allow you to become less embarrassed about it? Or what was that journey like to then being able to grasp this kind of as a as a way forward yeah I think that they did I think being able to work for a professional company yeah gave me some sort of kudos in a way you know like yes I'm interested in all this stuff that some people might see as like sordid but I'm doing this in a very professional way for a very professional company and my interest in this is valuable to this yeah. company so and, and obviously then you meet people and you, they ask what you do and there's that conversation which people you do get a lot of or I did get a lot of kind of giggles and all yeah. you know but but then there's that there's moving beyond that and yeah. actually it's it's a, it's a job it's an industry it's a profession so yeah and I think then when I moved into other jobs after that so another job that I didn't mention I worked for a, a publishing company in Bath and then later took on their non-profit CIC Creative Bath and I ran that and did lots of event work lots of people knew me as the person who had been at Love Honey you know because it's a small world Bath is like that and it really served me well because it had such a good reputation for being a good employer and for being quite innovative business-wise and I think it allowed me to be freer about what I was doing because it people sort of knew that was my background yeah so when I then would randomly you know with colleagues in an office you know working on an event or something I might talk about I don't know something that Love Honey had done or something that I'd done or you know this work that I'd done with Joy Bear Pictures then it it just sort of nobody was that surprised yeah you know but I don't know I think it instilled a level of being able to be a bit professional about that thing that sort of thing and did it allow you to be more authentically you through that because actually you'd worked in industries that actually like you say some people would be like oh or giggle or whatever but actually you knew what it was really like to work there Mm. you knew how professional it was and actually if you look back in history you know when everything is sort of buried and not discussed that doesn't doesn't it's not the reality of no. what's actually happening in the world mm. and actually when you know that whole piece about coming back to like people feeling shamed for beliefs they have mm. for well actually just even being interested in their own bodies mm. and actually who they are as people you know shame breeds some pretty horrendous mental mm. health issues it also can breed some really weird behaviors yeah and yeah shame can mm-hmm. lead to not being fully autonomous and in control when you go through a bodily process like birth if you are ashamed of your body and you've never been able to talk about it you are not going to experience that real liberation of trusting your body this is a real thing is if you trust your body it your body can do 
what it's what it's made to do yeah but it's when we don't trust it and we we can kind of start interfering a little bit because we just yeah. don't trust that it's going to happen mm. and I do I do believe that comes from shame yeah yeah and and I think when you you know you talked about the part of the brain that real kind of like you know primitive reptilian brain that takes over when you go through an experience mm. like birth and I think you know quite a few of my own experiences and those of kind of clients that I see where there's been some kind of you know trauma in their life and that you know can come from a million different kind of places but that trauma is often stored in that very place and I think you know if you and when you I guess I'm don't know I'm going around in circles of what I'm saying but I can imagine in that sort of birth situation if you're trying to get your conscious mind is almost fighting what Mm. your body's trying to do yeah you end up in a real mess and that's why things like hypnobirthing are so successful because we're trying to tap into the part of the brain that we are going to really desperately need yes and we're learning to quiet that front part of the brain I mean we're never going to switch that off entirely because we're human beings and we need it to survive but yeah I think the other thing about about that kind of primitive brain and those primal you know we don't have to think when we're walking or breathing or very rarely it just happens and birth can be like that in that if you were in a coma your body would birth your baby like it would wow so you know barring any complications but yeah it's things like in order to feel comfortable and safe in that part of your brain where you just are able to let go and Ina Mae Gaskin talks about this you're when you're giving birth it's your body that part of your body is a sphincter like anything else and how comfortable would you feel being asked to go to the toilet in front of a group of strangers and people telling you now do it now like (laughs) push now you know your body is unable to release so yeah having somebody that you trust implicitly and entirely is one way to ensure your body will be able to relax yeah because you feel safe yeah so yeah and I think this is the case in so many things where people are terrified to let go and I think I you know I kind of see it quite a lot where you'll think actually particularly when people kind of are incredibly incredibly busy incredibly proud of you know that kind of being so busy they're exhausted so that hardcore work mentality mentality, you think actually for a lot of people that's there's a fear of stopping and letting go Mm. and seeing what happens because and, and I guess if you then take that mentality into a kind of an experience that sort of ultimate kind of experience of actually birth it's going to go one way or another, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So. But yeah, so sorry, to go back to your question about whether that helped me live sort of more authentically, I think in a way, yes, with those people that were really close to me. Okay. But actually, there are, there, you know, there are still people in my family even that maybe don't really know what I did or understand mm. because I just never felt like I needed to go there. Okay. So there was still definitely an element of, you know, like older relatives yeah. or you know, people that I, you know, sometimes you just think, it's not something that I need to defend. So I don't feel like I need to go there, you know? Yeah. There's no need right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So in a way, yes, but I think I, I have never truly been able to escape that part of society that does judge people for being a bit, a bit weird for being into a kind of stuff that some people just see as like behind closed doors taboo dirty whatever you want yeah. to call it yeah well even you know I'm I'm 54 and even you know my generation my father would have been outside the door mm. you know that he wouldn't have been allowed in mm. and you think you know I don't feel that old but actually you know you think it's not that long ago kind of you know the late 60s it still was the case that it wasn't something that a partner should witness but even I think for people giving birth themselves in so my grandma she's in her 80s I remember her saying her talking about it and just it was something that was just absolutely awful that you just had to get through yes and you got through it and it was hell and it was agony and then it was done but so many women I mean you know I guess you know we're here to talk about kind of you and you're going to go on a massive tangent to kind of sex in a minute but actually even then you the number of women you hear talk about you know getting married having no concept of Mm. what sex was Mm. 
being absolutely shocked and it was something to be endured. And how sad is that, that actually they're so, it's so detached from, mm-hmm. or it's something that's disgusting and to be endured. Mm-hmm. And actually birth was in the same bracket. Yeah, totally. but you know, the difference now is that actually I meet more people that do hypnobirthing than don't because yeah. actually it's just so... We are understanding through various, you know, through anecdotal evidence, but yeah. also through research that preparing for birth and seeing it and talking about it and being mm. proactive about how we plan for it and being heavily involved in what we want yeah. is so beneficial. And it's not the same in, in cultures that aren't Western cultures like ours. Is I think, you know, we have this, and actually my memory, uh, not my memory, but actually my understanding of what it was like, you know, 50 odd years ago and beyond it was it wouldn't have been the same if you weren't in a western mm-hmm. culture where actually it would have been a much more natural process mm-hmm. it's things like you know we in mm-hmm. our society once you've had your baby there's this real sort of get on with it thing yeah. and in a lot of eastern culture there's a really strict fourth trimester yeah so where you know a mother has is she is not expected to cook clean do anything she has brought very nutritious meals and meant to stay inside and 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 calm and quiet and warm you know and to some extent you know I can understand why people might want to go oh you know sort of I just want to go to the shop (laughs) but there's a there's a reverence for healing and recovering that I just don't think we have here and I think we don't we don't respect and honour that healing process and the transformation mentally to recuperate from that because we don't fully understand what someone's gone through. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all, all for like talking about it as much as possible yeah. to really understand, you know, why it's so important to to prepare properly. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I remember having a C-section and, and going shopping and feeling like I wanted like almost a rubber ring around me so that no one would kind of barge into mm-hmm. me. And and my baby was in hospital, so I didn't have an outward sign that I might be a bit kind of vulnerable. Yeah. But actually, I wouldn't have been if I'd had any other abdominal surgery, let alone after being pregnant, mm. I wouldn't have been out wandering around the shops no. anyway. But and suddenly you, it was different. It was like, come on, get on with it. You've only had a baby. And you probably would have been set up with a like a physio regimen and you would have had like a rehabilitation programme and regular checks. But there's something about birth that is so behind closed doors that yeah. we we are just told to get on It's quite it. an aggressive approach, it's actually, very isn't aggressive. it? When you actually talk about it like this, it's actually quite an aggressive approach. But you think, hang on a minute, why do we approach it like that? And thank God for for people who who do what you do so yeah that's largely you know the, the postnatal doula really comes into yeah. this role and and actually there's a lot there, there are a lot of discussions that happen before birth about what you would like your postnatal period to be like because we prepare a lot for birth we prepare yeah. all of that but it's the bit afterwards and actually it's okay well who who do you have that you can call upon if it's not a doula um thinking practically about meals thinking practically about who's going to want your dog you know do you want people to come over or shall we laminate a sign and put it on the door that says thank you so yeah. much for dropping by but I'm not ready yet you know yeah it's all support those with the children that you already have yeah yeah exactly so yeah there's there's a lot to be said for I think having a really supported postnatal yeah. period so I know people who didn't know about doulas had a baby and then have hired a postnatal doula quite soon after birth and have said it's just been the best thing ever yeah. because what they were initially searching for was like a maternity nurse, but they didn't want that. They didn't want somebody there for their baby to like feed them or do any of that. Yeah. They wanted somebody there for them just to yeah. just they they were fine and people are perfectly capable of looking after their own children. But if they're not properly cared for, yeah. and that's that's what a doula really is there. The doula is there for the mother and the father or the parent yeah. person so that they are the best parent they can be for their child. Yeah. A doula might hold the baby while you have a shower, might take them for a walk around the block while you have a nap, yeah. but they're not there to babysit. They're yeah. there to take the load off you. Do doulas ever have a right? just sort of popped into my head? So you talked about, you know, the, the parents. So actually, if somebody adopts a baby... Is it because I guess there is then that period as as well of kind of adjustment, isn't there? Yeah, so definitely doula really is a word that just means like woman servant. So doula okay. can be anything. And I know people who are death doulas yeah. who, who work with families when somebody yeah. is going to die. So pre, during and after that oh, death wow. period. 
I know miscarriage doulas. I know abortion doulas. Yeah. So I see absolutely no reason why there wouldn't be yeah. postnatal or even pre, you know, pre-adoption post, you know, yeah. I know people who are doulas who work with couples who are going through IVF. So it's, it's really that I see it as that kind of ancient support network that maybe we would have had when we lived in a more tribal yeah. community. We would have had those wise women. Yes. Who yeah. would have who would have absolutely no questions. Yeah. They would have been with us, you know, in the red tent with when we were menstruating. Yeah. They would have been there when we were pregnant. They would have been there during birth because yeah. that's the one thing that I think has slowly moved away from the birth space is support from like other other people yeah. who've had babies. And our society, <laughs> you know, our society has fractured so much, hasn't it? And actually I have quite a lot of people that I see come through coaching will come and they can be in quite a socially lonely place that sounds strange but Mm. I think quite often there's a you know there isn't a community of support Mm. around them so it's kind of how do you find your place where's that support Mm. network you know there's so many people now I think who are the expectations are really really high Mm. you know and I look at the you know the next generation coming through and again, with the pressures of social media, which comes up in this podcast again and again. And I think that pressure to be perfect Mm. and actually, and that perfection is also that deemed about, you know, I am independent. I can do this on my own. I am perfectly capable. And, you know, I will do all of it by myself. I can earn my own money. I can, you know, and, and actually you think, whoa, that's fine. But actually, it's quite broken mm. in so many ways because it stops you being able to go, actually, I could do with some help here. And actually, so many of our connections are online now because, you, yeah. know, our, you know, we're all so busy. And we give up, we we portray the best version of ourselves online. And the irony of that is because a lot of our connections are online now because, you know, you might be having a baby and all your friends are working or, yeah. you know. So if your connection is largely online, you might feel, well, why do I feel so down and so lonely when I'm connected to all these yes, people? Yes, absolutely. I can look at when any a- issue I've got and get when an answer. Actually, you're see, you're not actually connecting with anyone on a real level, and what you're seeing is a distorted image anyway. Yeah. So it's exacerbated. Uh, And I particularly feel for the people who've had children over lockdown because that's been the only connection method. I mean, you you never see a a picture on Instagram, do you, of a mother kind of, you know, looking horrendous, sobbing her heart out with a screaming baby. No one posts that picture. The picture you see is of utter serenity. And you think, okay, there will be those wonderfully serene moments, but every day is not like that. So if you feel like, if you feel wretched Mm -hmm. and you're struggling or... You know, people don't post about miscarriage. People don't post about, increasingly a bit now, you'll get some stuff on prematurity, but not a lot. They certainly don't see very many posts about stillbirth or, you know. It's considered shocking. Because it's considered shocking, but actually it shapes the lives of so many people. And, And hopefully I think things are changing and actually people are starting to be more open and thank you know thank mm. goodness for people doing the kind of the work mm. that you're doing yeah so I don't know shall I talk about the fact that I'm doing the podcast now because I haven't really mentioned yeah, that yeah so let's talk about on? no no talk about your podcast that would be yeah that would yeah. be lovely so what's it called and so yeah where can people find it Okay, so I uh, have very, very recently launched a new podcast and it's called The Real Birth Podcast. And it's really stemmed from my passion for what I'm doing as a doula, but also from just a lifelong obsession and love of birth stories. I I just love listening to everybody's different stories, how things went, you know, highs, lows, ups, downs. Yeah. And actually... A, one of the reasons why so there's a couple of reasons why I decided to do it firstly I listened to birth stories pretty much all day every day when I was pregnant and I felt the more I listened the more I knew about what was possible yeah the the myriad of millions of things that could possibly happen to me all the different options that might be offered to me what happens if I'm overdue what happens if I have a premature baby what happens if what happens if you know all of that (laughs) and I thought it was brilliant because I felt like I'd heard every possible story I mean that's not possible because you know but I just felt like I had so much knowledge about birth Mm. but they most of the podcasts I listened to were American or Australian 
there seemed to be quite a big resource of yeah American and Australian podcasts and but of course the access they have to yeah. services midwifery doers etc totally, is, is so different, different yeah isn't it? So and, you and, can't translate and while the physiology of birth isn't different yeah actually the care the, the single biggest factor and this has been researched time and time again and proved that the biggest impact on the way your birth will go is the person who cares for you during your birth okay. so whether that's an obstet- obstetric doctor or you know how, whatever it yeah, might yeah. be that's the single biggest decision that you will ever make in your pregnancy is who I'm who I'm dealing with because that person has the ability to change the path of everything and so it's really important that you trust them so yeah the 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 healthcare system is so different in America it's very different in Australia as well they have kind of a mixture of public and private where there's a big choice so I didn't really listen to many British birth stories there wasn't a huge amount of relatable content out there for me so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start something and the other reason is because I don't think birth is fairly represented in society. Mm. I think if you asked an average young person what birth is, it, they would say it's somebody lying on their back in a hospital, screaming, yeah. they're begging for drugs. Yes. There is a They are on their back with their legs in stirrups. There is usually a male doctor in, yeah. down there in between their legs and the male doctor delivers the baby and is the hero. Yeah. And, and if it could all have been done while they were asleep with a C-section, exactly. then all the better. Yeah. So and it's <clears> very <throat> often very traumatic. You know, it's very yeah. waters break. And then, oh, my God, we have to get to the hospital because the baby's going to come now. And labour is, for most people, mm. long and boring. <clears throat> and yeah, so I, I don't think an average person actually knows what birth is like until they go into it. Mm. And if you don't know that it's possible to have a pretty boring long birth, after a couple of hours, you're going to be going, what's going on? Can we speed this there's up, problems. Yeah, or yeah. worrying there's a problem. <clears throat> and actually, when you start to interfere with natural labour, it's called the cascade of intervention. So okay. when you have... So you intervene once you intervene and then once. it's almost inevitable. Yeah. So, yeah, it might be that actually there's an impatience to get things going. Yeah. And whether that's coming from the birthing person or the healthcare provider, you know, we don't know, but once you start to try and encourage things to happen quicker than is happening naturally things will then start to descend into well we're going to give you this drug to speed things up or well your contractions are a bit too strong now so we're going to give you this drug so the pain's easier or well your baby's not reacting well to that drug because sometimes it can cause a heart decel also we'd like to monitor you closely or we're not sure you know and then eventually 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 you know, which happens to lots and lots of people. So I just think if you know that it is possible to have a whole range of different kinds yeah. of births, then then you know that it's possible for you. And obviously, you can't decide what your birth's going to be like. You can only stack the odds in your favour, as as my friend and my doula said to me. That's a lovely phrase, actually. Yeah, you can about, only... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so what you can do is you can be really informed and a doula will help you be, get informed if you're not doing any yeah. sort of other research yourself. Yeah, and you can just really have a think about, you You, you know, if you listen to a birth story, whether it's, you know, my podcast, whatever, anyone else's, then you might learn something you just didn't know about birth before. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're the person having the baby, you might be expecting a grandchild, you might be thinking about kids in 10 years, you might be a midwife who just wants to know what, people's birth experiences are like really because actually a lot of midwives only see really high risk stuff in labour wards that's true they're not working in birth centres they're not attending home births yeah so of course maybe some people's attitudes are skewed towards problems yeah yeah and and resolving those problems and I guess you know we talk about actually you know like that intervention cascade but you're right so a, a midwife in that situation they'll be in problem solving mode yeah. and trying to help somebody who's already yeah potentially kind of down that going down that route yeah so yeah so that's that's another reason why I wanted to do it just because I think if you have listened to a big variety of stories then you are just much better informed to know what well that's why it's called the real birth podcast it's about yeah. real birth it's yeah. not about the tv it's not about a hollywood movie it's just about Real regular people old birth, about, like, yeah. regular old people having yeah. a huge variety of experiences. Oh, do, do you know what, Lucy? I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this. And actually, 
where I thought we were going to go in the conversation. We've gone in many different directions, which is fantastic. And one of the things, last questions I'd like to ask you. So when you kind of wind that clock, I actually had written down a question which was about, you know, if you could go back to the age of 21 and give yourself then a piece of advice, but I'm going to go back further. I'm going to kind of go back and say, okay, if you could talk to Lucy when she was 15, Mm -hmm. sitting in her room or kind of like watching kind of videos, listening to stuff, what would you say to her now? What advice would you give her? It's really tricky because I do, I don't think I would encourage her to do anything sooner. Okay. Even though I feel like this is totally what I'm meant to be doing, the doula work, the podcast work, even, you know, the charity work, I feel like there's been so much that I've done leading up to it that has been so valuable to me that I don't think I would necessarily encourage her to do anything sooner, maybe a bit sooner, maybe like five years. Okay. But something that really mattered to me was having my own child. And once I'd done that, everything sort of fell into place of I feel like I have got a real credibility now yeah there are lots of doulas and midwives who don't have children and are exceptional but for me that was something it mattered to to me but I think I will probably try and just reassure (coughs) (coughs) sorry Harry (laughs) an edit bit there sorry Lucy I think I would probably just try and reassure her that she wasn't weird and that ultimately it didn't mean even though in the world talking about birth you know the blood the guts the gore you know all of those things that we just are not allowed to talk about as women and that goes down to everything in terms of you know periods and you know anything Mm. related to like women's problems yeah you know, because that is so taboo or whatever you want to say, you know, it's not your fault that you feel a bit icky about this. Yeah. It's not your fault you feel a bit shameful for loving this stuff. So it's okay to feel that, but please try not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, thank you, Lucy. And I think one of the things that kind of really resonates for me in this conversation and actually what you just said is one of the things I think through you know, it's amazing the changes that have happened and the opportunities that are there for women now that weren't. But when we go back and we look at that kind of authentic self piece, which I kind of bang on about a lot. And when I look at kind of, you know, women in leadership roles, particularly, and that how do you be that authentic self? So how do you be a woman and still be brilliant in business Mm. because if you have to hive off and hide a huge part of yourself Mm. to be able to perform and exist in a very male-dominated world Mm. then that causes that kind of shame that you're talking about and I think if we can all kind of go okay let's accept ourselves as we are and be the very best version of ourselves Mm. because actually we come with so many different gifts and opportunities. And you think, like as you say, from the age of 15, you're starting to learn that actually somehow the outside world is telling you that to be a woman and to be interested in the things that impact women mm. is shameful. Yeah. And then you kind of like, you know, and you, so I think actually talking about this and, I, and actually if I'm honest kind of sitting here talking about this mm. going through my own mind is well you know this is meant to be a leadership podcast mm. this is about and actually we're talking about all these different things but actually we should be talking about all these different mm. things because these are about people's whole lives women's lives particularly but also their partners and their children and mm. and 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 I think you know it's so important because this is about how people lead their lives yeah and I suppose in a way it's just fortunate that this who I believe you know I authentically am it is it is kind of more of a women-led industry yeah so yeah I think when I initially sort of thought about the whole leadership behaviors thing I thought well I'm not a leader but then if you look at in terms of my career and my life I've taken I suppose the choice to say no I'm going to do my thing yeah absolutely and you know you, you've you know you've worked in various different industries you 
have set up your own business to be able to do this. Mm. So, you know, leadership can have a very narrow definition. And in my mind, you absolutely are. Mm. And well, thank you. You are very welcome. <laughs> and I am absolutely thrilled that you've joined today. And sadly, we need to kind of finish there. But That's thank you right. so, so much That's for right. thank joining you, me today. Like, you know, like we said, it's not something that people really know about or talk about. And mm-hmm. even if it's even if the only thing that somebody takes away from this is that advocacy is really valid and important, yeah. whether it's birth, whether it's any other kind of Absolutely. situation in your life, find somebody mm-hmm. yeah. who find somebody who is going to champion you quite without yeah. question. And yeah. And then you are yeah. less likely to walk away from any experience feeling like, you know, like something was taken or like you weren't able to be in control of your own choices yeah Lucy thank you so so much for joining me today and for sharing your story with us your passion for birth for bodies and babies for what you've done with your own life especially coming out of lockdown and deciding to take action and really follow your passion to support other families to have empowered birth experiences is incredible you have worked so hard to stack the odds in your favor whether that comes to your own birth experience, to the way you started your own business or the way that you continue to support others around you. The other thing that comes out really strongly from getting to know you and what impresses me hugely about you is the way that you've really leaned into and faced up to the aspects of shame and embarrassment that stand in so many of our ways. So many people shy away from following their dreams because of what other people might think. You've recognised that, you've leaned into it and dealt with it, and you've created a path for yourself that will truly change other people's lives. Thank you again, Lucy, for joining me today. If you're interested to learn more about Lucy's role as a doula, then do check out her podcast, The Real Birth Podcast. I will share the link in my social media. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then check out previous episodes and click subscribe. My thanks for this episode go to Harry Williams for his amazing production, to Celie Nagori for my lovely new photos, and to Martin Barnes for the podcast artwork. Thank you all. <laughs>